Welcome to Behind the Dugout Podcast. I'm Rachel Downey. Join myself and Troy Townsend each week when we go behind the scenes to look at the world of football. We will chat to those involved in the beautiful game or those who simply just love football. This is the Behind the Dugout Podcast, powered by Paramex Digital. Maggie, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Chief Executive Officer, uh, well, Lewis Football Club, the first club in the world to pay its male and female players equally. Before we even begin, even touching on that, um, I want to know, well, your whole story, basically, how you got here. And let's begin. You you actually played at Lewis Football Club. Well, you played on the grounds. It's called um, the Dripping Pan ground you yeah. actually played there when you were 13 illegally as well <laughs> so you've done your digging <laughs> I know the ground yeah. as well Maggie by the way I've coached teams that have been there played the men's side as well and I always thought the dripping pan was a particular name for a ground but yeah it's a brilliant name let's not get into the the, the politics or the uh, challenges around what the true story is for the naming of it yeah um but yeah, it's a beautiful ground as well. It's set into the side of a of a hill. You can see the South Downs in the background. It's there's a proper bowl effect. Beautiful. Um, yeah, it gets really noisy on match days because there's good stands. Mm. Um, none of that really existed when I did play here, uh, which was in 1997. Um, and yeah, essentially, I grew up on the Isle of Wight. Um, there were no girls teams at all when I was growing up. I loved to play. Uh, there was a women's team. And a teacher one day after I was moaning about there being no opportunities for girls to play football said, well, why don't you join the women's team? And I think at that time I was thinking, but I'm just a kid. I'm just a kid. But I went along um, and sure enough, loved it. Absolutely threw myself in. And my first ever game was against Lewis at the Dripping Pan. So I remember rocking up in the minibus. I remember driving into the grounds, um, which isn't really permitted now because there's a little bit more safety features and the rest of it. Uh, but yeah, I was too young to play, so I had to play under somebody else's name. Um, I was oh, that illegally. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. That illegally. Yes. Yeah. The things that we tell so people not who's... to do. Yeah. Exactly. Don't worry. Don't worry. I was caught about a year later doing it again. <laughs> I I just really wanted to play, yeah. right? And so when someone said, "Come and play for my team," I was like, "Yeah, sure. Who am I today? Jessica, Sarah, Annie. Okay, fine." Hey, I was. At one point, I was called up in front of the FA courts and given a big telling off because they did catch me. Um, But look, there just weren't that many opportunities. So when I got one, I grabbed it and wanted to play. So I don't know who Sarah was that day, but she got three goals that I scored in the dripping pan, age 13. I'll take Uh, it. You won't find any traces of me in history, but I promise you. But but it's almost (laughs) the things that girls had to do to just experience and enjoy the game they love, yeah? Yeah, yeah. That was my only outlet. Like, you know, I was a sporty kid. I played, I had to play netball. I didn't particularly like it. I, I played hockey. I played anything that I was allowed to play. But the football one was the one that got me. Like, I loved it. But, the, the you know, the school would put in a team once a year to a football tournament. Um, so, of course, I loved it. But I, I, there weren't any other outlets for me. Um, and much as I like netball, I really wanted to get stuck in. I love sliding tackles. It's my it's my thing. So you can't really do a sliding tackle in the netball court. You could try, but you really can't. You really can't. Um, <laughs> and you actually play football for more than 20 years all over the world. Yeah, I think once anywhere that I was able to find a place to play, I was always playing. Mm. So 
of course, <laughs> I ended up being eligible to play for the Isle of Wight. I have lots and lots of incredible memories, um, including playing in island games, which is like this Olympic wow. Games, but for islands around the world. So you get together in uh, where, you know, an island in the middle of nowhere. It could have been in, in Scandinavia or it could have been Bermuda. So you go along and play in these tournaments. That was incredible. I played at university. But I think the key thing for me was my... I never realized that football could be a career option. It was just never even something I considered. So even though at one point I was offered trials uh, for scholarship to go to America, um, I, I was like, no, 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 I don't, you, you don't understand. I'm quite smart. I'm going to get good good <laughs> grades at school. So this is my, I'm not going to do sport because I don't understand why I would do that if I'm if I'm good at school. That was kind of just the understanding. I didn't really know anything else. So I went to university, got good grades um, and you know, started down this path of working in anti-corruption and uh, human rights and lived in Rwanda, Tanzania, Senegal, and wherever I went, there was always a women's team. And I think that's something that people kind of don't quite get. I think people think that women's football is only just starting. It's been around for, <laughs> for ages and ages and ages. It's just, it's not very well covered. It's not very visible. So some of my best memories are playing in the Tanzanian National Cup final, you know, things like that. Wow. Where, um, yeah, just in incredible experiences playing along with alongside women who were facing a lot harder struggles than me that, that was me just kind of not being able to find decent opportunities or having to deal with really bad referees or a second class kit or a hand-me-down kit you know things like that but these were women that were really putting themselves on the line by playing uh, so to play in the same team as them was a bit of a privilege um, and yeah and I think that gave me a bit of an, a global outlook in the way that I think about football and the opportunities that it provides and and how powerful football can be as well for how women are perceived in a community and how much like I've certainly benefited, I think, by being in the football space because of the access that that gives you in, in social situations. You know, I can have a very normal, very balanced conversation with a guy, um, which often the entry point is football, yeah. whereas my female friends at university couldn't have that that level balanced opening. There was always something flirtatious in it or there was always something like some kind of banter in there. Whereas for me, it, it, I was talked to on a level. And I think that's always, football's always given me access to areas and conversations and people and the way that I treat people and think about people, which sounds so basic, but it's only when you go through that that you understand how you're treated slightly differently. Can yeah, I, there's a lot, I don't know, there's a lot of psychology in there probably. Can I ask Maggie, really important question. Did you win the final? In, in Tanzania? Yeah. yeah. You did. <laughs> oh, did you? Did. Great question. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got the medal to show for it as well? I don't, I don't remember there ever even being there a medal. There wasn't medals. Wow. Of it. Right. Yeah, I don't remember the medal. Um, there, weren't, there still weren't that many resources, let's, yeah. let's be clear. Yeah. I, I remember that the funny thing about that particular game was when I showed up that day, I played there every week in this particular ground. And this day I arrived at the grounds and uh, there was like thousands and thousands of people there. And I was like, what's going on? <laughs> I had no idea. And it was not for us. It was not for us. All right. Okay. But the president of Tanzania, the president of Uganda and the president of Burundi or something yeah. were having a meeting. They'd been in the ground that day. And so there was some kind of national celebration that was taking place. I kind of found my way to the changing room. Somehow they let me in. <laughs> my team was in there getting ready. And I, we walked out and all these thousands of people were kind of leaving the ground. Wow. And then they saw us and they were like, oh, women! <laughs> <laughs> Those are women playing football. So at the beginning, everyone was laughing at us. Everyone was cheering. Wow. But I swear, and this is the magic of football. Yeah. Within 10 minutes, they were 
the jeers turned to cheers. Yeah. They got really into the game. They found their team that they were celebrating. And, and that's the power of football. After a while, if you can just drop your thinking about yeah. whether it's a man or a woman, then you just get into the game. And every, for me, football is a story. A game is a story. A season is a story. And in that case, all those people stayed in the ground to watch the story. And that's, for me, the beauty of football. Amazing. Yeah, it's that's unbelievable, football. isn't it? You went to uni, um, 10 years, you then were working uh, Human Rights, Amnesty International and Transparency International. Talk to us about, about that, like how, you know, obviously your passion is equality and, you know, human rights, but how did you end up working there? And Transparency International is incredible. Yeah, um, I think that underneath everything, I've done a lot of thinking about why I was so intrigued i think number one i was curious about the world so as soon as i could when i i left i was 17 when i took a year out before going to university and i i it feels embarrassing now but i picked a country that i'd never heard of which was tanzania so um so i was always curious i was really curious about what the world was like and that taught me so much being out there um and i think the other key thing for me was fairness so in every situation i've been in i've, I've kind of questioned the fairness and, you know, in a football sense, I have three brothers, so I could see that there was a lack of fairness. But that's in the football world that, mm. that I kind of had to hide a lot over the over a while. But in the work sense, I just couldn't understand why systems or structures or governments were set up where some people got a lot and some people got nothing. Um, or why some people were treated in a particular way and why some people weren't. So. I think fairness has always been a part of that. I think corruption just shows, you know, it's it's about power and it's about who holds power and how they use power. Mm. And the more that I was working in that space, the more that I realized that, you know, one or two people in leadership positions can have a huge impact on the people they are supposed to serve. And if they have ego and if they are selfish or mm. another way inclined, they can have a real devastating impact on the people that they're meant to serve. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's that's always been at the core. And, and, you know, later on when I was reflecting about football and especially when you see the FIFA corruption scandals, that was exactly what was unfolding in front of my eyes was people that had a huge amount of power and had the huge potential to, to change the world in football. Mm. They only have one job and that's to promote football. So why cut out 50% of the population? The thing is, you're not even so, talking about present day, are you? You're talking about some many, many years gone by. But actually, some of what you're saying kind of resonates still to this very mm. day, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. And I, I, that worries me, if you want me to be totally honest. I'm very, very similar to, to, to you, Maggie, in regards to... Listen, I didn't have thousands of people watching me when I was 13, 14, that's for sure, 15. But um, no, I resonate with that journey, you know, of, of wanting to make change, of wanting to understand and, you know, wanting to kind of provide opportunities for those that have been denied opportunity. Mm. And I still see that to, that to this present day. Is that something that you're still working towards? You're kind of concerned, your learnings from previous, you know, has helped you to navigate yeah. the footballing environment now yeah a hundred percent i think that what i learned at transparency international which is around good governance mm. and transparency and accountability definitely those things i've brought into football so uh, let me give you an example i met a girl a few, several years ago now uh, when i was living in berlin and she told me the story about how her team from back home 
and it doesn't really matter the country, so I yeah. won't say it, um, had they'd won the league and she looked devastated. Mm. And I didn't really understand why she was so upset about winning the league. And she said that they hadn't had much investment. So they were, they were really proud of themselves. They'd won the league and they were celebrating in the changing room and they'd been given this envelope of cash, the cash winnings. And then there was uh, a guy walked into the changing room while they were celebrating and they were talking about what they were going to do, how they would spend the money. Now they could afford a coach. They could maybe get some more kits and balls. And this man from the Federation walked in, took the money and said he would look after it for them. And they, and they never saw it. Obviously again. never saw the yeah. money again. Wow. And I was chewing it over because I heard this story when I was working at Transparency International and I looked at that country online to figure out how transparent they were. And they didn't publish any information about their uh, financials and they didn't publish any information about... Um, an annual plan or a strategy or a program. So even if they had wanted to challenge it, there was nothing for them. They had nothing for them to go in. Yeah. Like there was nothing written down. There was nothing transparent. There was nothing out there that they could hold that mm. um, authority accountable to. No paper trail. And no paper trail, no nothing. So for me, I think what I've, one of the things I'm most proud of doing at Lewis, which I know doesn't sound like winning the league because I haven't won the league, <laughs> is, you know, we publish a strategy. We yeah. publish a strategy and then after the first year of that strategy, we published an accountability report and we showed exactly what we had done, what, what we had achieved. And also we identified exactly what we had failed to do. And we tried to then shape the strategy based on the learnings from that. Mm. Um, and I think that it's, it's an accountability. Like if you're going to put me in charge, especially of a fan-owned club, then I'm going to show you my workings. <laughs> I'm going to show you what I'm trying to do. Maggie, and I'm going to be honest about... when I don't hit those goals. Sorry, are you talking about standard good practice? Is that what you're... <laughs> yes! <I don't... laughs> yes! <laughs> I know, it's wild, isn't it? it? Just to crazy. think about it. <laughs> but like you said, we're, we're celebrating it. Yeah. Because of how yeah. lacking it is in the game. Mm -hmm. Standard good practice and accountability. One, 100%. The things that happen in football around standard good practice also things like diversity around yeah. decision making yeah. all of those things are very normal in a normal business mm. and it is astounding when you work in football uh, the fact that i'm telling you that i publish a strategy and i'm proud of it and yeah. the fact that i'm telling you that i publish yeah. an accountability report and i'm proud of it i'm i'm almost embarrassed of myself yeah because I wouldn't, that would, that wouldn't be a, that wouldn't be something to celebrate in a normal business so or in true. a well-functioning business. So I think that that, that those principles around transparency, accountability, integrity are really core to me in the way that I mm. think. And then the fairness from the human rights side of things is also the way that I think as well. And it's still hard. We haven't got it right all the time. Like we're, we struggle every day, but it's, um, yeah, just trying to do something a bit different. You're listening to the Behind the Dugout podcast, powered by Paramex Digital. But if we got it right all the time, we wouldn't be having this conversation, would we? No, it's true. I'll <laughs> tell you what, I have a question I can ask both of you then. How how far away are we from... Yeah, <laughs> choice like rage. Wow. But for seeing more clubs be more transparent, from seeing more clubs being more fair... Are we a long way off from this? Like, are we a long way off from Lewis being the only club or one of the only to make these big, not even big gestures, to 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 be professional? I'm going to let Maggie answer that first and then I'll bounce <laughs> off the back of Maggie. <laughs> uh, so I'm a really optimistic person. 
but I think it's a long way away. So I, I do think that people are trying to do better, be better. But I think that when, when it hits certain areas, that's when it's difficult. So I think, I hope that we'll see more clubs be much more open and transparent around their financials and, um, and what they're doing and strategies and things like that. But I think that when it really hurts, that's, I think it's on things that, I'll give you an example. I know that a lot of clubs would like to not take gambling money, mm. but in the end, they're going to do it yeah. because it's the extra cash and it's a loss of cash. Yeah. And that's the same with crypto cash um, where the origin, they're not quite sure about it, but they'll, oh, but I could really do with that money. Yeah. And I think that that's going to be the same when a decision is made to hire or fire someone. It will be like, oh, but this person, yeah, there was gross misconduct, but oh, he was a real loyal soldier for 20 years at the club. So let's just, send him on his way and, and not call it out because mm, it would be a bit awkward. So I think that there are certain things I, that the football industry is, is doing which are going to get better and improve. But I do think that there's a willingness to brush something under the carpet or change your principles because it's a little bit easier to do that. I'm not sure. I don't I know, need... Troy. I don't know what you think. Well, I'm not sure <laughs> I need to add anything to be, be fair yeah. or, apart from maybe I'm not so optimistic no, no. for the immediate future. I think there's so much that we still need to do mm. in and around the game. And that not only includes the clubs, that includes the governance of the game as well. Because, May, you spoke yeah. very passionately about the power structures. And the power structures are the things that can make the change. No, they're the people with the authority that can change things. And I'm not saying immediately, because these things do happen over a period of time. Mm. But they can definitely change things for the better. And while saying that, I have seen change because if we hadn't, again, I don't think I'd have a job. Mm. But we are still very much on this journey. And this journey needs to accelerate a little bit quicker than potentially what it has done over the last, well, the period of time that I've started yeah. to lose my hair, which has been a long time ago. So, yeah, listen, I resonate with, with what Maggie's saying. And that's probably why we both do the work that we do. Um, it's frustrating, though, isn't it? Because I can imagine you probably feel like you're getting somewhere and then something else blocks it. And then you feel like you're getting somewhere and some, somewhere else blocks it. And Maggie, you, um, I know people have mentioned this before, you you did a TED talk. And one thing that I really resonate with, you said that girls shouldn't have to be tough to play the game they love. And that resonates to me. I've done a lot in motorsport and I always kind of go through it. Times I've loved it, times I've hated it. I, times I don't like it because of the, the sexual harassment that I've definitely had and I know people close to me have had. And I always tell myself, oh, I'm too sensitive for this industry. I'm too sensitive. And it's like, that, it just shouldn't happen. It's not my fault. Mm. And I shouldn't have to adapt because the environment isn't a safe environment. Mm. And it just, yeah, it resonates with me so much what you say, that we shouldn't have to change how we are because of our environment, because it, it isn't necessarily safe or welcoming to, to women, mm. to, to other people. And yeah, it, it really, yeah. Uh, you know, it's very interesting mm. that because I love this game. Mm. So the sport that I work in, I can tell you now, I can use love very simply. I love it. When it's going well, it's, forget motorsport, yeah. <laughs> it's the best <laughs> thing in the world, football. Then there's the moments that actually I incredibly hate about our game 
the bits that I'm trying to change and alongside the good people that are trying to make change that will impact for many, many years to come. Mm. And that's my frustrations. And I suppose that's why people don't like hearing me talk anymore because I keep talking about the negatives. But yeah. the positives are clear. Maggie's identified some positives already today. And, you know, they're small gains, aren't they, Maggie? They're small gains, but they're massive in the grand scheme of things. And I think just hearing that story mm. gives me hope that people will adopt a Lewis-style yeah. kind of approach to how they present themselves in the long run. And Maggie, how do you not fall out of love with what you do when you do come across people that aren't listening and or it's the struggles? How how do you carry on being Come and positive? work with me, Maggie, then you'll know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a threat. <laughs> um, do you know, I, I um, this is a difficult one because it is hard. I think that, um, well, number one, I've got thick skin. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I realise that I'm pretty resilient. I think I also have quite a high tolerance mm. threshold. Mm. So I'm able to ignore some of the stuff or I'm able to ignore some of the um, the comments that might come through. Mm. I think, naturally, I think it's human nature, right, to hear the negative and not the positive. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you almost have to force yourself to remind yourself that 95% of the people or the interactions you've Absolutely. had have been positive and it's mm. only 5% are negative, but they sit with me. Um, I think one thing that drives me a little bit, uh, which is probably dangerous, is um, I don't, I don't want those people to win. Mm. Like, and and I know that they might because I'm also aware that um, the systems are against clubs like ours in a way, um, or like there's a lot that's in place that's going to make it difficult and I just I just have to keep on trying to figure out if it's possible to create the football club I wish existed when I was a kid that's that's all I'm trying to figure out and I also am trying to come to peace with the idea that there are that there are waves of revolution <laughs> um there's this brilliant phrase I think Audrey Lord said revolution isn't a one-day yeah. event or one-day yeah. occurrence and I think that's so powerful because there'll be these waves. So we are contributing to it, but other people are contributing to it. And then there might be rises and falls. And then the next wave that comes along will have a little bit more power, a little bit more energy, a little bit more influence. And then that wave will come. And then eventually, I think I do see a world where um, we are a little bit more principle, like a bit more values focused, a little bit more. I think that, you know, the, the crowds that we get on some of our match days, show that there is an energy and an enthusiasm around what we're creating and I think that other clubs need to figure out what their personality is what they stand for what's their point of difference um and for some that might just be whether you've got a brilliant player or not but I think that I think everyone's looking for something else now especially mm. now that the world is smaller so mm. they don't have to support who's on their doorstep anymore so they can support Forest Green Rovers because they're an environmental yeah. environmentalist or they're vegan you know they can do that it's easy to follow now um, so I think that now you start to see clubs with personalities. I think that we will see a shift towards people aligning themselves more with an, with another club. Um, but yeah, all of that is to say it, it's it's hard, thick skin. <laughs> try to not uh, try to remember to pay attention to the ninety five percent and not just the five. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I must admit I struggle with that, but yeah. you're absolutely yeah. right. 
Are you happy with where the women's game is now? So let's look beyond Lewis a little bit. Are you happy with where the women's game is now? The kind of funding it gets, the exposure it's got, the opportunity, um, you know, like you said, that you never had, um, although there are yeah. obviously still barriers. Are you happy, content to, of where it is right now? Uh, on many fronts, yes. I think what we're seeing now is what I wanted when I was 13, 14, 15. I think that it's what I expected would be in place when I was 18, 19, 20, oh, which right. shows naivety. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember thinking at the time, we need X, Y, Z. Oh, I'll have to wait a whole five years before <laughs> that will come. I didn't think I was going to have to wait <laughs> 25 years. Um, <laughs> I mean, okay. when you say it like I'm that. More patient now. <laughs> I'm depressed. <laughs> but I think um, I'm, I also have concerns. Mm. Um, so. I have quite a few concerns, I guess. I'm a little bit nervous that the pace of change is so much yeah. that it's so fast mm. that only the ones with Premier League club backing can keep up. And it concerns me that we make more money than many, if not most other clubs in our division and the division above, but we're the ones that will struggle because we don't have um, the, a men's side to to, to lean yeah. into, and and the reason for that is not like ultimately I understand that that we're not a rich club and that bit by bit we we might not be able to keep our position in the championship. Um, what I don't like is dependency, mm. and I don't like incentivized dependency. So, for us, if I need to I need to make half a million pounds, I have to go out and make it. So I have to have a great match day experience. I have to sell great food. I have to sell really good drinks. I have to make sure that people have a great time. And I, the only thing I can't control is the score. Yeah. So I need to make everything else amazing. Mm. So I work really hard at that. And our team works really, really hard in making sure that everyone has a great time because I need to make money. If I'm dependent, if my commercial manager just knew that they were going to get X amount of money slid across the table every year, there's a little bit less incentive. There's mm. a little bit less hard work. Yeah, there's fewer hours that go into it. And that's the financial side. But for me, the dependency part that's most concerning and most worrying is that we won't have autonomy of decision-making. Yeah. And that autonomy around decision-making means to make sure that we do the right thing for the women's game, mm. which is distinctive and different from the men's game. And it means that you know players who would like to speak up about certain things yeah. wouldn't be able to because their voice is, is somewhat controlled by mm. the men's side of the club that might not want someone to speak up on, that, on that particular issue. Can I just say So I think you, you those are the, the... the areas that I'm most concerned about, that dependency um, really and what said. that yeah. will yeah. lead to. Sorry, I cut across you there, Maggie. It's, it's very rude, but I just wanted to mention the fact that you said two major things for me there, and that's food and drink. Um, so basically, you'll be seeing me down at the ground yeah. soon, that's for sure. We'll be yeah. there, like 100%. Let's yes. go now, Troy. Definitely. Beat the rush, beat the Definitely. rush. Um, Maggie, because we, we are running out of time, but I know that uh, Lewis, it's a fan-owned club. Um, can can anyone become an owner? Absolutely, I yeah. Like so we have around uh, 2,400 owners, and they're now in uh 40 41 countries around wow. the world wow um, and so those are people that tend to 
have heard about us, like what we stand for, like our principles, whether it's on equality or the fact that we don't take gambling money or just mm. they like the idea of voting in an election or they like the idea of voting for the kit that we're going to wear next season or voting for players, all those kinds of things. We have this app, we have monthly town halls. So, you know, That's anyone amazing. around the world can join the town hall and speak to myself or directors on a monthly basis. Amazing. Um, it's all a part of that transparency and accountability. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of people join because they just simply want the club to know that they back them or uh, they back us or they do it because they love the idea of a little bit of democracy in, in football as well. Well, we'll keep we'll put all the links um, up um, on our page, but there's also a documentary coming out and um, you are the director of communications at uh, Equal Playing Fields. And there's two documentaries there as well. And we'll put everything up on our page for you. But yeah, we are running out of time, which is so annoying. We'll have to have you back <laughs> yeah. for a part two. In let's person, do that. by the way. Yes. Unless we're going down to the dripping pan, of course. Oh, well, let's do um, that. I think we should do that. Yeah, yeah, we'll come down to the dripping pan and we'll do a part two. Yeah, please do. Listen, I, can yeah. I just say, yeah. I think you're an inspirational person. Yeah. A person that has been obviously driven down this route from so many different angles mm. as well. Um, I don't know why we haven't connected earlier because I hear your voice in me, to be totally honest. So mm. I'm going to nick a piece mm. of some of what you have and drive it through the change that I'm trying to achieve as well. But you've been an inspiration. I'm sure our listeners will find that as well, won't they? Yeah, they really will. Um, Maggie, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and this is Behind the Dugout. Um, if you want to keep up to date, do make sure you check out all our socials um, over on uh, Instagram. We are sponsored by Paramax Digital. We are here well all the time. So <laughs> do drop us a message over on Instagram page as well and do check out Lewis Football Club. We'll leave all the links up on our Instagram and on um, underneath the podcast link as well. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to Behind the Dugout Podcast. And find us on Instagram at Behind the Dugout Podcast for announcements and exclusive video clips from here in the studio. We'll see you next time. Behind the Dugout Podcast. Powered by Paramex Digital.